So listen. So in memory of Eli Warren, um, this is something really fun that the kids and the families can get involved in. Um, I don't know, has anyone ever found random rocks in Jacksonville? Yeah. Anyone? It's a thing. It's really fun. You find a rock, and it, usually on the back it has something written. So we have these rocks here, and some have already been returned painted. The idea is that you take a rock, you paint it, you bring it back to the service, and then you are going to leave with someone else's rock, and then you place these rocks around the city and people will find them. And Ralea and the family have come up with a hashtag. It's hashtag love like Eli. So when you find a rock or anyone who never knew Eli will find a rock, they search the hashtag and they see Eli. So his memory and his legacy is continuing to live on in a fun and adventurous way. So if you haven't got any rocks yet, there's a bag of unpainted rocks. Come get some and then bring them back. Does everybody get that? And if you don't have kids and you go, what in the world are you talking about? It's just a, it's a thing, something kids do right now. So we were at playgrounds and my kids were like, look, I found a rock. I'm like, why is there a painted rock here? They're like, because. I'm like, oh, all right. That's a good reason. So it's like a simpler version of geocaching. Well, good morning, guys. I'm uh, uh, Brian Wages, if you're a guest here. I'm the worship pastor, soon-to-be lead pastor here, later this year. Jeff cheered for that. If you missed, we announced that a couple weeks ago. Um, we'll have more about that later, but might as well pay attention today because I'm just kidding. I'm going to invite Andy to come up here. He's going to read. Whenever we have large sections of scripture, I like to have Andy read them because he reads way better than me. And... Um, but we're going to be talking today of a verse, and if you want to turn to it, they'll have it on the screen. It's in 2 Kings 5, 1 through 19. It's a story, um, and the message will be called, What Have You Got to Lose? All right, and it's a story about uh, a man being healed. So, yeah, it's just the front. So here we go. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl uh, from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman so that you, or to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, had heard the king, what the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he said to the, sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stooped at the door of Elisha's house. I'm sorry, stopped at the door of Elisha's house. 
Elisha sent a messenger to him to say to him, Go, wash yourselves seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave over the uh, spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow down there also, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. Amen. Thank you, Andy. So I want to talk to you guys today. Um, I originally was reading. I encourage you, go, go to Second Kings. Uh, I think we'll come back other times and go through all of these stories. But I wanted to go through. I started typing up a message that had like, I started at like chapter four, and there's like rapid succession of very important miraculous stories, and I was going to like go through all of them. This was just one. <laughs> and I was talking to my wife about it, and she's like, perhaps focus in, you know, we don't have a, seven hours to go through, you know. So you can thank my wife that we're, uh, we'll go back, we'll go back and talk about those later, but it was kind of making a point of, you know, I want to talk about um, this message today is going to be for people who have a problem or have problems, which I'm sure none of you have any problems. So the, the three or four people here that have problems, I'm talking to you. But problems that you want, like if we're a believer in the Lord, you've got to, in, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but... How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, have had problems in your life that you've asked God to help you fix? Okay? Some people did raise their hand. So that's what I want to talk about. When we invite God to fix something in our lives and how that interaction happens. And I want to focus on this one story from the many that... uh I was looking at, and it's about a guy named Naaman who is um, a commander of an army, but he has a problem, and I like this guy. I like his attitude. He kind of reminds me of Jesus. Uh, when Jesus is walking um, in, in his part of his ministry, 
he's healing people, and the word gets out about that. And there's a there's a famous story where a Roman centurion who's not he's 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 not Jewish, you know, he's outside of that. He's he says, you know, his you know servant is sick, and he's like, hey, can sends word, can you heal? You know, can you heal? He's like, oh, come and heal him. And he's like, oh, you don't even have to do that. Like, I'm a commander of people, and so if you just give word, I know it'll happen. And Jesus is like, wow, this guy's this guy's faith is awesome, you know. And uh, this this Naaman guy kind of reminds me of that guy. It might be because they're both, you know, leaders of in the military. But I think there's a certain kind of um, honesty and faith that these guys move in that reminds me of each other. And I like this guy. I like his attitude. I like what he does. And I I, uh, um, I just want to go through this story again and talk about some pieces of it. And maybe you can see ways that this might, you might relate to some of these points when you've been talking with God about problems in your own life. But first, I'm going to pray. So, Father, bless this message that it would come um, and touch our hearts and change our lives, Lord, and that we'd be more like you. Um, and let only your light shine in Jesus' name. Amen. So, sometimes our problems can be um, completely debilitating. But oftentimes, I think many of us suffer with problems that are partially debilitating. And I see that in this guy, Naaman, that he's the commander of the army. But he has leprosy. So it's like he's not totally limited or totally debilitated by this problem, but it's there. It's partially debilitating. It's like, you know, it's ever-present. It's never going away. It, it affects everything in his life. Like back then, this kind of skin disease wasn't treatable, and it would like progress, get worse, and you would die, and other people could catch it from you. So people had to be careful. I'm sure they respected this guy. It doesn't really say all of, you know, how that was handled. Oftentimes back then, if you were leprous, they would kind of send you away for fear of other people getting it. Well, this guy's in charge of an army, so they're not doing that. But I'm sure people are like, you know, here's your food, sir. Wash your hands. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure people are like, everybody, you know, everybody knows it. You see, he's got a problem that doesn't stop him from being who he is. It just messes it up, and everybody knows it. Everybody that looks at him is like, hey, so I was like, whoa, okay. Um, you know, it's nothing he can get away from. And, and so his situation is there wasn't the kind of medicine we have today. This wasn't a treatable thing. Some people would even view it as a curse, so there's like a weird spiritual element. But again, he's still successful at his job. It's just constantly this thing nagging at him. And I suspect that so many of us in our kind of culture live this life. On the surface, things are great. Maybe you're even like really good at what you do. It doesn't have to be your job. Just people think, man, this person's really doing it. They're really going after God. They're really whatever. You know, they're really highly successful. They have the best sales record, everything. But on the inside, and maybe not everybody knows it. You know, you don't, it doesn't have to be a one-for-one relationship. You know, maybe... Everybody doesn't know it, but you have this nagging thing that only a miracle is going to help make better. Like I said, they didn't have the medicine we have now. This guy needs some sort of miracle. And I think what I like about this guy is he's kind of willing to do what's needed. All right? He's not stuck up, okay? You might think he is because of what happened, but I'll get to that. But the, uh, 
The reason I say that is his wife has a servant who's, that's a pretty lowly position. So he's commander of, these, of the armies, you know, probably second only to the king himself, or he calls him his lord of Syria or Aram or whatever. And um, so he's a high-profile, highly successful, strong leader that people look up to. And then this lowly person in his society, he's like, I know how to fix this. He needs to go talk to the prophet in Israel. And I think it's a testimony to this guy's attitude and spirit and willingness to listen that he's like, that's a good idea. And then not only does he have to say, that's a good idea, he goes and tells his king, hey, I think I might have a solution here. And I like that guy too because he's like, that's a good idea. They're listening, you see? This willingness to, God, I'll do whatever it is. You know, I'm open. I'm looking, and I'm willing to follow at this point, you see. So he says to his king, hey, I need to go find out more about this. His king says, yes, yes, you do. So he sends him um, with, a, uh, with, with letters to ask about this. But I think that it's like he takes this suggestion seriously, and he, um, and he acts on it. And uh, when he gets there, he had two problems. Um, one is he went to the wrong place. <laughs> Maybe it's the right place, like, culturally. Like, he goes to the other king with a letter from his king saying, like, hey, fix this, you know. But that's not the guy who's going to do it. You see what I'm saying? He went to the wrong guy. Um, I don't know if protocol would, you know, imply that. But, like, somehow this gets mixed up. And that guy's like, the king of Israel is like, what? How am I? What? I'm not going to do this. You know, so it doesn't even go. So he goes to the wrong place, and it doesn't go well. And I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where, and I'm gonna, I'll share about something in a minute, but when I've gone with good intention seeking something from God to the wrong place, and it doesn't go well. And, uh, but luckily for him, or, you know, a blessing to him or whatever, he, uh, Elisha hears about the king's reaction, like, you know, he's like, oh, come on. And I love this reaction because of the boldness of it. He's like, send him to me. He'll find out there's a prophet here, you know. And he's like, I'm the guy he's looking for anyway. So Naaman comes to Elisha's house, and this is where it starts to get real. Because, um... He wanted to be cured, and he was willing to follow God. But when it came down to the moment of it, he wanted it done his way. And I suspect that many of us limit God in the exact same way in our own lives. That we're, we're good all the way up to the end, and then when it's finally God's like, all right, here's what it is, we go, that's not what I wanted. And he says he leaves angry. But good thing he has friends or, or whatever. The people around him, they're like, hey, you know, um, <laughs> you did get to the guy you're looking for. This is the person you're looking for. And he told you something to do, and it's not hard. Perhaps... 
what do you have to lose? <laughs> Maybe give it a shot. He does it, and he gets healed. And so um, it required of him, uh, you see a transformation that starts to happen because, and I'm, gonna, I'm going through this quickly, and then I'm going to come back through it again and break it out a little bit more, and I think you'll see maybe some more of what I'm saying, that this, what Naaman had to do in all of his boldness and all of his strength is he had to stop, listen, and trust first that this was the Lord and then to see it through. And, I, and this is where I started to like, okay, I like this guy because um, he could have been angry. This is, he's a high-profile guy, and so is Elisha. Elisha's a prophet, and Elisha's talking straight to the king and stuff like that. These are top-notch guys. They're not, you know, um, they're known. You know what I mean? Not only are they famous, but they even have roles in society that are a big deal. And so there's kind of protocols and things. And he goes to Elisha's house, and Elisha doesn't even come out and see him. He sends a guy out, which is kind of perhaps a slap in the face, or at least this guy's like, wait a second. I thought, because he says, I thought he'd come out, you know, and he has it all figured out in his head. I know and you can read some of these other stories that I was going to talk about. The kind of stuff that Elisha's been doing is, this guy's not wrong to think this. Like, I'm sure on the way over, people are like, yeah, I've heard he's done this. And yeah, I've heard he's done that. Yeah, I've heard he's done this. So he's kind of gone, oh, if God does these sorts of things, then God will do this sort of thing for me. You see what I'm saying? As he starts to put God's action into a box that has to function this way. And my gosh, guys, we all do this. And I hope that as I'm saying this, you're going, oh, man, <laughs> I'm realizing now, you know, that I've done this to God. And he puts God's action into a box. And then Elisha, trusting the Lord and doing what God says, I believe, sends somebody out to tell him what to do. Like, you know, almost like that Roman centurion, you know, you don't need me to come. Just go wash seven times in the Jordan River, you know, not on his list. He wants him to come out, wave his hand over, and then he'll just be healed. It's only uh, the miracle he's looking for is defined by the process, not just the result. It's defined by how he gets there, not just what he's looking for. This is the error he has. Everything's good. He's going for it. He's trusting. He's thinking, but then the last piece is it has to happen this way. And so he leaves angry because it didn't happen that way, because he put God in a box. Now, now, to our culture, where sometimes when you talk about miracles, that can get strange. Well, I'm jumping to a different place. I don't want to, we'll come back to that, all right? Think about how do we define miracles. We'll come back to this in a second. But he listens to his friends. What have you got to lose? And he, and he finds, like, you know, you're right. So he does it. And then the other thing that he does, which is another reason I think I'm seeing, I like this guy, is that he says, you've got to do this seven times. And it does bear some resemblance to some of the ritual washing of the Jewish people at the time. But it's kind of not. It's, you know, it's its own thing. You know, seven is an important number. And he's submitting to all of this. Like, okay, I'll do it in your river I'll do it your way, and I'll do it the number of times your God says I have to do it. And I think that, like, the humbling of this, this is a grand guy. Now he's got to go down and wash himself once. Nothing happens. Twice. Nothing happens. And we go, well, they said seven times. Like, what is a big deal? You, you, when God gives you something to do and says seven times, 
Sometimes on the fifth time when it doesn't work, you're like, this doesn't work. <laughs> and you stop. But he didn't. He saw it all the way through to the end and came up healed. And again, I, this is not a big part of this, is that he, but he gets completely cured. And I like his response because he, he immediately goes back and he's like, let me like, give you all this stuff and all this kind of thing. And Elisha's like, no, look, we don't need that. You know? But then he's like, well, then let me take dirt with me because I'm going to set like an altar on it. And when I'm going to worship your God now on his land, even though I have to go back and do my job, you know, but I'm going to have my own like little place, you know, to worship. And um, I think it's funny, the end story, which I'm not going to really talk about at all. I like, (laughs) he's a thorough person, this guy, because he's like, I'm only going to worship your God. He's like, but there is this one weird part of my life where I have to help my king worship his God, which I know isn't God and isn't something, but he has like old, so I have to like help him kneel. So just no, I'm not kneeling. I'm just helping him kneel. And, you know, <laughs> I just think it's funny. Like, he's like, and he's like, you're good, you know. And uh, there's more that keeps going, but we're going to go back and look at this again. Um, because how do we evaluate the activity of God, okay? When we try to talk about a miracle, what is a miracle? What gets to count as a miracle, What are you looking for as a miracle? Some people, and and what I think is the definitions we build, tend to, because of experience, because of stories we've heard, maybe even reading the Bible, you can build a box that you have decided God has to operate in in order for it to count as a miracle. And I think this is a really important thing to realize because I believe that God is active. I believe God's active in your life. I believe he's active in my life. And I, I believe that God doesn't even always get the credit for all that he's doing. I could go on and on. I think there's plenty of Bible verses to back up what I'm talking about. But I think that in order for us to become more Christ-like, when Jesus says he's doing what his Father is doing, saying what his Father is saying, our awareness of God's activity in our lives and in the lives of those around us needs to come up a lot. And our culture pushes it down. Every culture pushes it down. Our lifestyles push it down. Our anxieties, I mean, there's all kinds of things that our lives are filled with that push us down or distract us from acknowledging and being aware of the activity of God in our lives. And it's not all the same thing. You see, some of us who've been around for a while, um, like when you're saying, like, what is a miracle? You go, well, like somebody's blind eyes being open. I don't think there's anybody in this room that would say that if a blind person came up here, we laid hands on them and prayed for them, which is biblical, and they could see again, no one would say that's not a miracle. Or, I mean, I don't think anybody would. I mean, you might say we lied and it was all a sham or something like that. That's a different conversation. Assuming it actually happened, okay? You'd go, that's miraculous. But is that the extent of a miracle? What about, um, what about God changing someone's heart? Is that a miracle? What about someone who is against 
God and everything of God and everything good filled with hate changed. Either in a moment or over, like, I don't know. Is that a miracle? What about somebody being led by God to give you money? Hey, I don't know what this means, but God told me to give you $100 right at the exact moment that you needed $100 and you didn't tell anybody. Now, that's actual money that that person earned or whatever had. U.S. currency, legal, you know. It's not God didn't make the money out of, you know. It's actual money printed by the U.S. government, you know. They handed it to you, but it was at God's leading, and it's exactly what you needed. How is that not a miracle? Or God says to tell this person, tell this person, you know, this encouraging word, I love them, or you see them, or you're thankful that they're here, or that you're thankful for what they did, and that's exactly what they needed to hear. Why is that not a miracle? I think it, they all are. I think a miracle is a better definition, maybe a fuller definition, is God's activity or heaven touching earth. You know, we sing in that song, Sloppy Wet Kiss, because <laughs> like in this story, when heaven touches earth, it kind of sometimes gets messy. We don't always react the, same, the proper way. It's not that God does anything wrong. We do. <laughs> and I think that um, we start to build boxes. You know, lots of us are comfortable with God at doing grand and huge things. And they tell this guy, if he had told you to go do something really hard, you would have done it. But because it's easy, you don't want to. That's a box. He's like, I'll do it if it's hard or if it's this instantaneous, like, wave your hand sort of thing. These are, I'm comfortable with those. I'm not comfortable with the go wash, you know. Other people, um, <laughs> like, if, uh, if it's instantaneous, it only counts if it's instantaneous. Well, there's times Jesus healed people that wasn't even instantaneous. And there's other times, <laughs> I mean, bookend this story with a couple other ones where things weren't instantaneous. A woman's child dies and Elisha prays for him. Or he sends three things. He sends a guy ahead with a stick. Nothing happens. He, go, he lays and prays on him. Nothing happens. The third, or the third thing, the second time he prays for him, the kid sneezes and then he's like alive again. Now you go, is that not a miracle? Of course it's a miracle. But then it's like, uh, <laughs> what about that middle area? You see what I'm saying? This is what I'm interested in. Because I feel like we live so close you know, he, he lays on him and prays for him one time. I guess God doesn't want to raise, you know, and then he doesn't, that doesn't make it in the book. You see what I'm saying? I don't know how he knows to do it again. I don't know if he showed up the whole time knowing he was going to do it twice. When I read the story, he's, he lays and prays on the kid, and then he's like, and he says he walks around the house. I mean, that doesn't, to me, sound like a guy who's, like, got a plan as much as I would like to imagine. I, mean, I can't say he didn't, but if it reminds me of my life at all, I'm like, oh, man, what do I do now? You know, and I'm praying, and then God, do it again. You know, you know anyway, so if, sometimes it's like God only operates instantaneously. That's a box some of us build. You know, other people are like guys a lot. You know, I'm not comfortable with getting anything for free. I want to pay my own way, you know. Like this guy, even after the miracle, he's like, all right, I want to pay for this in some sort of way. And, God, and he's like, no, you can't. You know what I'm saying? And that's like a box that God has to smash. We're like, God's, God's love for us is not earned. And the, the reason this is an important aspect, this box you put God in, is that you can start very slowly with a good heart of, 
I don't want anything for free. I want to pay my own way. I want to take care of things. I'm a strong man. It's, this is how you do things or whatever. And slowly but surely, it, it morphs into, God, you owe me because I did this for you. And he's like, whoa, you see what I'm saying? And he smashes these things for our own benefit because God doesn't owe us anything, but he loves us and he gives us things because he loves us. It's completely different. And he doesn't like to entertain the junk in the middle. Anyway, we're bringing, we're bringing boxes. Another box is that some people are only comfortable if God does things that aren't weird. And your problem is that the Bible is quite full of weird. And if you don't think that story I just read you is weird, I want to talk to you because your life is probably really interesting. But the, the, the greater picture is this. If you just want to, like, we just lay it out. Usually we define weird as something I don't know about or something I haven't experienced, which is fine, except for you haven't experienced most of the things in the world. Even for, like, forget God and forget like the spiritual world. Have all of you seen Niagara Falls? You know? Have all of you been to Paris? You know? Now add back into it like all of what God is doing in the world and it's like, whoa, you know, this this never ending. (laughs) And so you really got to get out a little is what I'm trying to say. Like if if you're going to limit God to what you define as weird, you're going to limit God to like, you know, it's like (laughs) my definition of not weird is about this big, you know, which might not even be the same as yours. So now we're already into trouble. You know, me and Karen have a different definition of weird, you know. You know, some of the things I think are normal, she might go, that's crazy. You know, she doesn't know the family I came from. But um, the, uh, the uh, <laughs> sorry, I lost my train of thought. The, the, the box that you build called we- Not Weird, you know, God could be operating right here. And you have this tiny little area that you're willing to operate. And then just a fraction outside of that, God is pouring out. And you're like, no, I will not, or I won't not, or I won't even see it sometimes. Like, I can't see, you know, just because it's weird. And I say, what do you got to lose, guys? You know, especially if it's that thing that's driving you crazy. So don't be limited by weird. Now, (laughs) other people think if it's not weird, it's not God. This is also a problem because God does pretty normal things sometimes. An infant child can understand love and can feel love and can give love. That would not be defined as weird. And it's the like foundational core quality of our father. So don't build a box around weird, not weird, all of these things. And I could go on. The main thing is this, if we want to be Christ-like people, if we want to follow Jesus, as he says, I'm saying what my Father is saying, I'm doing what my Father is doing, you have to, like Jesus, operate in a full trust of God, whether he moves inside the box that you're comfortable with or outside of it. The funny thing is, a lot of us that come from boxes, and we smash some of these, in our lives. So as I'm saying things, you're like, yeah, 
I used to do this and I used to do that. Like you get it and you understand and I know I've done the same thing. And the funny thing is that sometimes now that box becomes a black spot in your life. Like I'm free now. I understand God is not inside this box. He's everywhere else. And I go, well, yeah, and inside this box. You follow what I'm saying? Like freedom isn't getting out of the box. Freedom is like not caring about the box anymore. You know what I mean? If you smash it, this space is available to the freedom. You see, it's not like God's not there, okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm laboring on a point. But I want to tell you about something. Are you okay if we get real for a minute? Half of you are okay with it. The rest of you will be uncomfortable because it's going to be weird. No. I'm going to tell you a story about my own life that relates to this because I think it's something you may need to know. But I also think it might encourage you. Um, And then I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to sing a song together. And I'm going to sing the song too because I want to. And it'll be good. The... uh, um, Father, bless these words as I share them, that they would be meaningful and helpful and life-giving to those that hear them. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to choose my words carefully just because I don't want to be distracting. I realized in the last year, I think, right about a year now, that I have OCD. And I didn't know this. I just thought I was artsy-fartsy and weird or, like, emotional or something. I don't know. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have language for it, okay? And, I, and it was not, and I was a lot like this guy in this story where I wasn't limited. I could function just fine. No one really knew about it except for, like, my wife and Jeff and Pastor Gary. Those people I was driving crazy, I think, because I was, you know, and uh, I had this thing this thing in my brain, and it wouldn't, you know, I just didn't know what it was, so I was, when you come to an issue like that, especially if you don't know what it is, so at this point, I just know something's off, I don't know what's going on, and I've known it my whole life, and I'm trying to deal with it, and I dealt with it sometimes in good ways, and sometimes in other ways, and all this kind of thing, and, but it was obviously becoming more of a problem, not less of one, but not limiting my life, I could still preach, and I mean, like, I'm talking about, like, now, this isn't, like, 30 years ago, you know, this is, like, last year. <laughs> so you knew me then, whatever, we're fine. The, uh, but on the inside, there was this thing happening, and it was getting worse, and I didn't know exactly what to do about it. And so when you have an issue like that, you kind of have several different avenues you can work through. There's like a spiritual component maybe, which because of my profession, I was very comfortable with that, okay? I was like, God will, you know. Then there's like the physical, like what are you eating? What are you doing? How do you, you know, there's chemicals in your brain and all, this, like, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm reasonably okay with that, but I don't want to take any medicine. You know, I'm not doing that. And then the third category of like psychological treatment or some kind of help you evaluate. And I was dabbling in that at Jeff's recommendation, <laughs> but I was also like highly suspect of this because I'd had an experience as a child that I didn't, it was, you know, not traumatic, but it, was, it left me kind of going, I don't know about this either. So I had one box to work with which was God will do this for me in a moment. So I was getting all these people to pray, and I was doing all, and of course, and you should do that, okay? And so I was well-meaning. 
I was seeking solutions. I wasn't wanting to wallow in anything, but this was not going away, and it was becoming a problem for people around me, <laughs> and, and uh, whatever. So I was taking healing seriously, and I was, I was seeking it, but I was going, and you have to hear this properly in context, never going to God with your problem is the wrong place. Okay, so don't, this is, don't press this metaphor too far and come back and be like, you should always go to God. I know that. What I'm trying to say is God was trying to show me something, and we'll get to that. So me only going, there's at least three options. There may be five or ten, I don't know, but I could see at least three options of treatment here that uh, I had at my disposal, and I was only comfortable with one. So that thing I just did is me going to the wrong place, Okay. So I went to, you know, there's all this prayer and all this healing, and, and things were good, and they weren't, and they were good, and they weren't. Now, anyway, so I went to the wrong place. Um, but really what I was doing is wasn't really the wrong place. I was just wanting to be cured my own way. The only way that I wanted to be cured was someone to just, just like in this story, I want this person to wave their hand over me, and then I'm better. Because isn't that great? And that's how God does things, right? And then I'll stand up on this stage and tell the story of listen to how God healed me and isn't God awesome for all the miracles that he works in my life or whatever in your life and this thing. It would be great. God will get all the credit. This is awesome. It proves whatever. You know, it's just this great thing. That did not happen. And I'm telling you right now that this was the Lord's hand in my life. And it took me a while to see it. Because I was mad. Because what happened was, just like the guy in the story, the moment I was like, I'm doing the right things and nothing's working. So I'm getting mad at God. Because I go, you could do this, but you won't. <laughs> Not can't, won't. So I was mad. And I was mad at God and I was mad at people. I was, you know, And again, I kept this to myself or to Jeff and Carrie and Gary, you know, Limited. <laughs> and, uh, and what happened was, and a little bit out of order, I was getting desperate, and I was kind of looking at these other two options that I had before me, like, well, maybe I should definitely be getting in shape or something, at least, you know, physically. That would help. And it did, but it, you know, I wasn't fully giving into it. And then, I, like I said, I, at Jeff's recommendation, I kind of was talking to a few people, but not really. See what I'm saying? I was still, my, my focus was all over here. And it got to kind of a breaking point. I was like, I literally prayed, God, you have to show me something. Or I'm going to need to make some major changes in my life or something. I don't know, you know. Something has to change, like now. And God's mercifully answered my prayer. We had some friends over for dinner. And they shared a story, <laughs> which they were just talking. You know, like, hey, wow, you know, um, and look, look, if, if what I'm sharing right now is something similar to what you're dealing with, this solution, this doesn't work. You can't go, now I'm going to build a box that it has to work the exact same way that God worked in Brian's life. It probably won't, okay? It's about submitting to God, okay? So don't think I'm telling you the solution to depression or the solution to, you know, it doesn't work like that. It is not one size fits all. For some of you, you're holding on to a sinful life, and you, it, you will not find the joy of the Lord till you let go of that. There's pornography destroying your, your, your heart and your life, and you can't have both. It just, it's just ripping you apart. That has to be let go of and repented of, things like that. Or some of you, God will just 
you will wave your hand over and the Holy Spirit will fill you and your life will be different, you know. Some of you are plagued by something that God's put in you to drive you to find something. I, I can't tell you all of that, so I can't stress this enough. This is not the solution for everyone, but it needed to be for me. And so we had some friends over. They're just sharing in their own lives, and they're describing they had had some things and some stress and the thing. And, blah, blah, and then mentioned, yeah, I went and actually got this treatment, and there was this medication, and it really helped me. And literally verbatim what they were describing, I was like, oh, man. This is me. And when they left, my wife was like, you know, that was you, right? They're like, yes. <laughs> and that day I made an appointment to talk with a doctor. And then I talked to the doctor. Hey, da 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 And this is when I found out the word that I needed to know. It's like, oh, you have OCD. And I said, no, I don't. I don't wash my hands. And they were like, I mean, I do wash my hands. I don't wash my hands all the time. Y'all know what I mean. I do wash my hands, though some, some people don't in the bathroom. Y'all need, to, y'all need to step that up. I said, he says, you have OCD. I said, no, I don't. I'm not, I don't do that kind of stuff. And he's like, no, you don't understand what it is. And then he started explaining it, and then I started reading about it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there it is. And he's like, I'm going to give you this medication, see if it helps. So this is straight up the second category, all right, which I was like, I'm not comfortable with this, Okay. We're not going here because, you know, this medicine thing will mess up my brain. It's not going to work. And I'm sorry if, like, I'm not, I take medicine now, guys. So don't think that, like, I'm downing on it. I was just at that point, like, that's not an option for me. I'm, I'm the wave the hand guy. It's going to work. God gets all the credit and all this kind of stuff. This is what a miracle is. Only right here. Not this. This is just, I don't even know what this is. It's probably bad. It's not good, you know. And, um, and so... God had to break me out of this box and take me here. And, he, and I got this medicine, and I took it. And literally 30 minutes later, I was like, whoa, this is how normal people feel. Or, you know, and, I, you know, and there's a lot more to say about that on the medical thing, but it doesn't really matter. It was helpful. It doesn't usually even work that way. Like That's like kind of miraculously fast, if you follow what I'm saying. And um, what came from that is as I would tell some people about it, they would say to me, well, God may one day heal you. And I was like, okay. You know, like, I'm fine with that, you see. <laughs> like, this box isn't shut off either, you know. I don't, if I wake up one day and this is over, awesome. But from now, what God showed me through this whole thing was he's like, you don't understand how I, like, what I'm doing, you know. I walked up to the, to, God, to the house of God and said, come out here, wave your hand over me, and do it my way. And he said, no. <laughs> He's like, you're going to do it this other way. And I said, what? You know, I'll do something hard. Or, I mean, let's do something awesome. Like, let's do something where, like, you get the credit. Like, you know, send me on a journey. I'll go do something awesome, and I'll still come back and say, God led me, and it was this great thing. Or just come out and, you know, and then, I mean, who can argue with that? That's definitely a better idea. And God was like, absolutely not. Come over here and do this. I'm like, this is like normal stuff. You know what I mean? Like, non-Christian people know about this. (laughs) How are you going to get the credit for healing me when it's medicine? Because that's like normal, you know? Anyway, it didn't solve everything in my life. You know, my wife can tell you I still have plenty of problems. But but the... uh, but it really helped. And it also really helped me see 
how God is moving in people's lives just way brought, like, it, way, it opened my eyes so much to God's activity in my life. And when people would say to me, maybe God will heal you one day, I'm like, absolutely. But he's healing me now, okay? And I don't look at this as any less of a miracle. My wife doesn't look at it as any less of a miracle. <laughs> you guys won't <laughs> in the coming months. But the, uh, the importance of it in my life is so extreme. And it seems almost like it could have not happened. Like, if I, like, like this guy, he got so close. And then he tells him, go wash in the river seven times. Bye. And he's like, what? I'm not going to do that. And just because he listened to his friends, how many of y'all know we need the people around us? Because sometimes, sometimes, you need somebody around you to tell you, you have to step out and be bold here. You have to do this great thing. You have to do this great thing. Sometimes we need that. But I think a lot of us really need to listen as God is speaking through those around us these very normal things that might be miraculous if we would do them and not just do them once and not just do them twice and not just do them three times, but do them seven times. See it through. You don't know the end. You know, it's like one of those funny things like, do you pray and read your Bible? No. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you want to, you know, you want to get to know God better? Yeah. Like, but I don't pray and read my Bible. It's like, well, start there, you know. And I'm not going to tell you how much, but I mean, start there, you know. I'm like, well, I did that for a while. I was like, go keep doing it, you know. <laughs> and it, so, like, what I'm saying is that, like, the, uh, we think we're so deep. And we think we see so, like, much further than we do. Meanwhile, God is freely moving, and he's pouring out all in our lives. And it's going to come through some of the most amazing, unforeseen, God-only sources that are instantaneous and miraculous. And those are awesome. And it's going to come through, like, just hugs from people and advice from people. And it's also going to come through the most mundane, I don't, even, I don't even know exactly how to define that, like the most mundane, ritualistic-like uh, life skills almost. You know, I, that might not be the right word, but you get, what, you get what I'm trying to say, that there's God's activity is throughout all of these places. And by limiting him, we're just cutting off. I see it like this, like... Like, uh, we're opening, it's like there's a lot of hose bibs, and we're trying to fill up with the presence of God, and we keep opening the wrong ones. Meanwhile, there's like a fire hose behind us, one that we won't touch, you know? And sometimes it's the silliest one. Like, what? You know? And uh, so anyway, I don't want to keep belaboring this position, but I pray that we could find through this story, and even through my testimony, an openness to... Well, first off, this, if you think it's weird that I shared that, like, I don't know what to say. I feel like church often tends to be a place where people think they need to pretend like everything's fine, but then, hey, come on, like, seriously, like, so it'd be better for you if I pretend like that's not happening in my life, 
and then act like, I never have any problems. That's just for you normal people. You know what I mean? Jeff and I have plenty of problems. You see what I'm saying? We, <laughs> maybe more. I don't know. But the, the, uh, the, the thing is, it's, it's wrong. It's sinfully wrong for us to create a culture in the church where you're going to go off to the bar or you're drinking friends, and that's where you're real, and you come here and pretend like everything's fine. That is not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is where things are real, realer than real. It doesn't mean we all come and wallow in things all the time. We're victorious. We're singing these songs. We're singing for a reason. This is how we fight our battles, and we do win through the blood of Jesus and all this thing. But, the, but you can't come faking it, and we do all the time. So my encouragement to you, this microphone's falling apart. My encouragement to you is the title of this message, What Have You Got to Lose? You've tried everything else. What do you got to lose for that? Open that last tap. You might be surprised what you find. So come on up, guys. We're going to play a song. We're going to play um, You Made a Way, um, which is a song about the sacrifice of Jesus in our lives. Because, guys, living a Christian life is not easy, okay? When Jesus says, take up my cross, take up your cross and follow me, he's talking about the difficulty but the worthwhileness of this Christian journey doesn't all happen in a day. Some things do. Some things don't. But we follow our king. And if, I just want you to sing this with me. If you want to come down here and pray, by all means, come down here and pray. But if, if not, just stand and let's sing this song together. And then I'll ask Jeff to pray at the end because I'm singing.